Hello, my name is Grant, and I'm lead pastor at New Song Church. And I uh, just want to say it's great to be able to come and bring the next in our series in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, thank you so much to Melody Anderson uh, for bringing the word last week. It was super encouraging uh, to many of us, I know. And just grateful for Melody in the midst of a really challenging time uh, that she is going through with her family, that she, that she was able to bring such clarity to the text and uh, such an encouraging word to us all. Thank you also to all who participated throughout the week in any of the things that have been happening through New Song. Uh, I was in the prayer meeting on Wednesday and a really wonderful time with that group, praying for the needs of our church. Uh, thank you for all who are in leadership at New Song. Thank you to all who are contributing financially or just through your uh, participation. Uh, this is how it's supposed to work, and God energizes us to work together in community to accomplish all that he wants to see uh, accomplished through us and in us. Uh, we're going to jump straight into the text this week, so if you have a Bible or if you're joining us uh, online at 9 o'clock uh, with the Bible uh, tab, you can check out there. Uh, we're looking at Mark chapter 1, and we're in verses 40 to 45, uh, and I'm reading from the NIV today. And Mark writes... A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. You know, stories in general, the best stories anyway, and biblical stories in the Gospels for sure, call us to identify with the characters portrayed. To draw us into a story, that's what the Gospels want to do. They want to draw us into the story, thereby bringing our lives into conversation with God through his word. And since there are two characters in this particular account, Jesus and this man, this leper, it seems likely that the person we will identify with is the leper, or instead, perhaps find no points of identification with him and perhaps just simply move along to the next in the gospel, in the next section, looking for a connection. How we connect probably has something to do with our life situation at the time when we read these words. If we're currently struggling with some kind of physical ailment or illness of the body or the mind, it is likely that in this particular story, we will quite quickly identify with this afflicted man to find ourselves in his shoes, to find ourselves sharing in his longing for healing or for freedom from what ails him. And on the other hand, perhaps when our lives seemingly are going along quite well, we may find ourselves just simply taking the place of an observer, a somewhat passive observer, just watching these events rather than as an active participant in the story. And I have to admit that I immediately identified with this man who comes to Jesus seeking healing. And I'll tell you why. 
Uh, way back around Christmas 2013, during a, a time, a really super stressful time in my life, I began to experience some uncomfortable symptoms. There's just this kind of twinge uh, in, uh, down here below my rib cage, and, and it, was, it was bothersome. Well, over the intervening now seven years, I've had numerous tests, all kinds of tests. I know more about tests and things than, than I ever wanted to know, uh, and attempts at treatment and diagnosis, but uh, to this day, I experience mostly on a daily basis, uh, to varying degrees, discomfort uh, and a resultant anxiety about what might be causing this issue. And recently, these symptoms seem, unfortunately, to have increased somewhat. So as I prepared to speak on this section of Mark, and I read it as a reader, first of all, you know, we try and read first to, to understand what God might say to me and, and engage myself personally with the text, even prior to thinking about how to teach or preach it. I read this text and quickly, almost subconsciously, I found myself identifying with this man and, and a sense of a longing for this level of compassion and willingness to heal an actual complete healing from Jesus that I read about here. I mouth with the leper the words, Jesus, if you are willing, you can heal me. You can clean, make me clean. And, you know, longing to hear and experience that Jesus' response in that moment, I am willing, be clean, be healed. And then to perhaps feel the all too familiar sensations of discomfort just melt away to nothing, just sublime relief. You know, perhaps this is your experience if you, as you read this text or hear this text read. Uh, what is happening for you right now that might cause you to long for this kind of interaction, this healing moment with Jesus? Because we've heard so far that this text and the whole of this, uh, what we call the Gospel of Mark, is the Gospel, which means good news. It's good news for us. And apparently, the very first expression of this good news in the ministry of Jesus, apart from preaching, is this wonderful and widespread ministry of healing that he has embarked upon. We've been seeing all the way through the first sections of this chapter. It is front and center of Mark's record. And I can imagine that for anyone who is experiencing current ongoing pain, suffering, or any form of affliction, this has been a word to grasp onto and hold onto firmly with both hands. So, but, but perhaps I don't find myself in a place where I readily identify with this man. I, I'm just an observer of this interaction between Jesus and this other than me afflicted person who comes to Jesus for healing. I have no obvious or persistent affliction today. Things are generally good. It's encouraging to know that Jesus might perhaps be there in case of emergencies, but I'm relatively content right now and you think, good for the leper. He got healed. That's nice. Way to go, Jesus. So what does this text, this living word of God, have to say to me, to us today? Now, I think it's a really good practice whenever we approach any biblical text to ask questions of it, to ask questions when we read the Bible. And unfortunately, very unfortunately, historically, and even now perhaps, it's something that's often discouraged in church. The asking of questions is not encouraged, but it is so biblical. If you see the relationship with Jesus with his disciples, they were constantly asking him questions. Uh, just quick plug, uh, Soul Food on Mondays, we're doing this lunchtime little get-together. It was one of our small group options to sign up for, a place to ask questions. I just want to say 12 to 12, 20, 20, 45 every Monday, uh, join me for lunchtime and uh, we're going to look at some Bible, Bible texts and ask questions of them together uh, or join some other small group and ask questions. It's the, one of the best ways to grow spiritually. It actually reminds me of a few lines from a poem by someone you might have heard of. He wrote the Jungle Book. His name is Rudyard, and I can't say it. His name is Rudyard Kipling. And um, 
he has this little poem, which I really love. And it's, it says this, it says, I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and why and when and how and where and who. Asking questions is super important. So let's go with that kind of sense into this text. Firstly, last week's text that Melody brought, the last thing said in verse 39 is this. So Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So Mark has just summarized in one verse there, this like apparently lengthy and widespread time of preaching and healing. He just, in just a few very short words. So here's a question. Why does Mark now take five whole verses to describe this one particular healing interaction with this one man? So first question, why the leper story? Why the leper story? And I think it's this, that in this coming near of the kingdom of God in Jesus, we are actually regardless of the particular urgency of our life experience, we are meant to find ourselves identifying with this interaction in all of its meaning, which hopefully we can unpack today. I think my longing for healing or anyone's longing for healing as they read this text is totally spot on and totally appropriate here. And I think it should be more widely experienced by all of us as we read this text that we should find in us this desire and longing for, for this sort of thing, for some kind of interaction with Jesus which is, involves healing and, and that draws me into a deeper understanding of who he is. You know, and this man is a leper, it says. He he has what we call leprosy. Most experts in the Greek and Hebrew scriptures believe that this word leprosy was kind of a catch-all for all kind of afflictions of, of, and skin diseases in particular, things that would kind of visibly mark somebody, including the affliction of leprosy as we currently understand it today. You know, sufferers of such afflictions in the Jewish world were in a really difficult and painful situation. You maybe have heard of some of the things that they had to endure uh, as sufferers of this uh, disease. Uh, They suffered physically. They had these sores and wounds and and infection. I mean, really a daily reminder of their mortality, the nearness of death, their frailty. They suffered also spiritually. You know, there was a great prevalence of ideas at that time and prior to uh, the the bad people were somehow perhaps marked by God with such afflictions and that he rewarded the righteous with good health and prosperity. And perhaps that's actually seeped into our cultural understanding that we see those who are successful as somehow more righteous or more uh, deserving of the grace and love of God than those who seem to be failing in some way. But shame and guilt were their daily companions. Uh, they suffered socially. They were excluded from the life of the community. There, was, there were barriers to full participation, person to person, neighbor to neighbor, engaging with the community. And the central aspect of their identity in their community was their disease. It was the most important thing about them, both to themselves and to others. It was the focus of all their community engagement and it defined all of it, both religious and social, because there was no real separation at that time of either of these things. Uh, This was made utterly clear by a law which was given to such a person that whenever they came near other people, they were to shout out crying, self-identifying in a loud voice, unclean, unclean, unclean. 
This was a world where religious purity governed every interaction. This man was truly unclean in his community and a source of impurity uh, by his very, uh, by interactions, any interaction with him for all who might come in contact with him, shunned for the most part by family and by friends and neighbors and even worse, probably believing himself to be judged, rejected and marked by God. And in fact, such was the seriousness of such an illness that in Jewish law, a leper was essentially considered to be the same almost as a dead body when it came to religious impurity. Like the AMC zombie show, The Walking Dead, this man was like he was a walking dead person. And I think Mark wants us to identify this person because this, my friends, is actually a great glimpse into our human condition. And we, we don't have this obvious physical affliction called leprosy or some skin disease, but it is what sin really takes, uh, the part that sin takes and the identification of sin in Mark's gospel. And our disease is, is sin and we are, we are afflicted, every single one of it. And it damages us every bit as much as the leprosy that ravaged this man's entire life. So physically, he, he faces mortality every single day and, and, and we sometimes have this illusion that we're immortal, that we're living forever, but scripture tells us that we, we dwell in these mortal bodies and they are progressively breaking down. We came from the dust and to the dust we will return and our aches and our pains and our surgeries and our prescriptions remind us of that truth every single day we are passing away physically. You know, this sin causes us to be alienated from our truest selves and from one another and from God. You know, and we can see it in our fears and our endless ways of conflict with ourselves and with others and with God that we are not who we should be. I was reading something this week about, about how leprosy might be this, this image of the human condition and uh, Peter Feldmeyer, in this little article called Healing the Leper, a really hopeful little article said this, sin renders the human condition ugly. It deforms us. And this is the condition of every single person alive. And so now this interaction that Mark's soul focuses on with this particular man suffering from this particular disease that has these particular consequences for his communal life, his spiritual life, his life with himself and others and with God. Um, in this intimate moment, we see that Jesus breaks the hold of this disease over this man's life and, and potentially restores to him all that has been taken from him. What an act of grace. And we see this man, he's the first thing we hear is he comes to him with this posture in a desperate condition. He recognizes his condition because it's before him every single day. And he comes recognizing Jesus, comes to him and begs him on his knees for healing. And I think he's an example to everyone who listens to this story of how to approach Jesus First, we must see our condition. And secondly, then with humility and courage and faith and fullness of seeking, we must come to him. And what does Jesus do? Mark gives us this picture of just the breadth and the, and the wonderful um, 
all-encompassing nature of the salvation that Jesus comes to bring. We've already seen him heal. We've already seen him uh, come against the powers of darkness that held people in bondage. And, and as he does so, he's bringing the kingdom. This is what the kingdom does. And when Jesus comes, he brings this kind of rescue, salvation, redemption. Uh, he, re he can restore us back to community with one another and with God and even with our own truest self. Make me clean, the leper says. Why didn't he say, heal me of my afflictions? Because he understood uh, more than we do the holistic nature of our dilemma. And also that it tells us that there is this holistic solution in Jesus, in the salvation that he brings. So we should all identify here with this man and with his interaction with Jesus so can we find hope here for our own healing? Is the second question I want to ask. Can we find hope here for our own healing? You know, the specific words in the conversation between Jesus and the leper are really short and simple, but they teach us a great deal. It's very, very, a really uh, wonderful use of words by Mark. His recording of this conversation is remarkably succinct and yet remarkably filled with rich meaning. He says, these two, this interaction says, that the leper says, if you are willing, you can make me clean, Jesus. Jesus says, I am willing, be clean, so there's two aspects in here. There's one aspect of the will. Okay, what, what I want to do, what does Jesus want to do? The second thing is action, actually accomplishing that will. And, and it comes from the human side and, and the divine side or the, the, the Jesus side. There's a human hopefulness and faith in both that, that Jesus would will this and that Jesus would actually therefore accomplish this. And then there's Jesus' as embodiment of both that Jesus wills this and then because of that he actually accomplishes this and it kind of leads us into this paradox that people have wrestled with for centuries uh, that if God can and wants to, to stop suffering wants to heal us then why does he not more often seem to do so in the moments of fear and doubt and pain and suffering and affliction and trial that we encounter on a daily basis so I mean we could ask the question is his willingness and action just specific to this one man well, perhaps, maybe this is just, this. I'm willing to heal you and therefore I heal you. Or is it for all people in all places? Another important thing to think about when we read scripture is that we should always uh, look to the whole counsel of God and the teaching of scripture as a whole in order to illuminate a detail. And if we do this, if we do this, we go seeking for answers in the word, we can pile upon text upon text that make universal these aspects of who God is as revealed in Jesus, that he is the one who does will and he is the one who does accomplish. He does both. Already in Mark, we have seen Jesus as the one who has brought the kingdom of God, which we are told is good news to human beings. And what better news could there be than the one with all the power is both willing to heal us and is, both, and is also able to heal us. And in the stories to come through Mark, we're going to witness the heart of Jesus towards people, which will amplify and, and uh, reinforce this thought, his wisdom, his compassion, and his love in action. The Bible, the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation tells us that God is both able and willing to save us and heal us. And the cross upon which Jesus bled and died stands forever as a testimony to that truth forever and for all. So why then do we so often experience God's apparent unwillingness or inaction in the moment of our pain? 
can we hope for the leper's release? And I think the rest of the story here, as Mark reports it, might give us an answer. Here's a question. What are we to make of Jesus' instructions to the man? The first part just has a very brief you know, story about the interaction. The latter part, it's the longer part, actually talks about what Jesus then says to this, this person who's been healed. So a question is why the call, a couple of questions. Why the call to secrecy? He says, don't go tell anyone. And why did Jesus send the man to the priest? It seems most of the stories about Jesus healing people in, in the Gospels uh, come to different conclusions. Either some f- are told to follow Jesus, perhaps, and others are told to go and share what God has done for them. Uh, Jesus gives very specific instructions to this man. And if we dig a little deeper at what Jesus is referring to in his instructions, we can see an incredibly detailed list of actions to perform. Something that is just the space of a few verses. Actually, to do this, to follow this command is actually quite complex. Um, Jesus simply says, go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing. And and we really would have a clue. If Jesus said that to you today, it's quite likely many of us would not have a clue what he's talking about. But it kind of sounds simple. Go there, offer the sacrifice for your cleansing. Well, Jesus is actually referring to the law of Moses. He mentions Moses and it's recorded in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. And it's a, it's a set of laws about lepers, or leper laws, we could call it quite uh, succinctly. Uh, my fellow Scotsman and, and a Bible scholar died a long time ago, but wrote some great books about the Gospels and things. His name's William Barclay. He kindly summarizes this entire procedure for us, what Jesus was calling this man to go and actually do. And here's what uh, William Barclay says in a summary of uh, mostly Leviticus chapter 14. He was examined by the priest. Two birds were taken and one was killed over running water. In addition, there was cedar, scarlet, and hyssop. These things and the living bird were dipped in the blood of the dead bird and then the live bird was allowed to go free. The man washed himself and his clothes and shaved himself. Seven days then elapsed and he was re-examined. He had then to shave his hair, his head, his eyebrows. Certain sacrifices were made. Two male lambs without blemish and one ewe lamb. Three-tenth deals of fine flour mingled with oil and one log of oil. The amounts were less for the poor. The restored sufferer was touched on the tip of the right ear, the right thumb and the right great toe, or big toe, right, with blood and oil. He was then given a final examination. And if clear of the disease, he was allowed to go with his certificate uh, go with a certificate that he was clean. So this is a complex thing. It's like Jesus is saying, go to the priest and, and do what Moses commanded the people to do. So why, why this kind of glimpse back? Jesus has healed this man. Surely he's cleansed and he is free to go. But yet he points him towards the priest. Why is he doing that? Well, one of the things that we need to pay attention to when we look at the life of Jesus is something that Luke makes very clear for us. Uh, in his gospel. And we believe that Luke based uh, in part his gospel on the writings of Mark. So there's some places where he kind of gives more uh, information or illuminates this. And in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, this is what Luke says. Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. So everything that was written in the Old Testament, Jesus said, is being fulfilled in his life 
and his teaching and his death and his resurrection. And we're in this interesting moment in the story where this is not yet completely being accomplished. And Jesus has great respect for the law because the Old Testament scriptures are the word of God at that point in time. So he sends this man to go to the priest. A few reasons for that. One is that this man may be cleansed by Jesus, but in that cultural, uh, the culture at that time, he still needs to find that, that uh, you know, the okay of the priest to be able to fully engage back again into society. Uh, secondly, Mark including this is meant to give us this hint that Jesus indeed is coming. This talk of blood and of sacrifices is the beginnings of these kind of rumblings of what's going to occur as Jesus moves towards the cross and actually accomplishes for all time what the law was only able to do partially for some time. Uh, these laws that, that taught about a holy God, and there was a distance between people and God and they had to go through all of these things in order to be right before him and to understand as they did these actions the seriousness of what it meant to be in relationship with a perfect holy God. Uh, but secondly, Jesus sending this man out uh, tells us something about the salvation experience itself. It's very interesting that um, Jesus saves this man and then uh, he heals him. And the very next thing he does is he gives him what, what Mark says, a very stern command. He speaks apparently quite harshly to this man and tells him, do not do this, but go and do this. Um, salvation in Mark, we're going to learn, is very much about discipleship, about becoming, as Jesus is portrayed in Mark as a servant, becoming one ourselves. It's a call. If I am interacted with Jesus and he has uh, given me the sense of salvation and healing, I now am called to full commitment to the kingdom of God and the king of the kingdom, Jesus so the man says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing, be clean. And that really is um, the start of something new for this man. It is not simply one single transaction based on this felt need or this immediate situation, but it is deeper than that. So Jesus gives him commands. He, he sends him immediately, he says, uh, with a strong warning, see that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. So a strong warning, don't tell them, go show yourself, offer the sacrifices. So immediately, after healing this man, he sends him on this challenging path of obedience. And there's a purpose to this. Why does he send him to go to the priest? Not only so that he might be restored to community again, but also he is sent to bring a testimony. That's what Mark writes. He says that Jesus says, go to them, do these things. Why? As a testimony to them. As a testimony to them. We said in the very first message about Mark, about there's messengers. There's a message and there's messengers. And one of the main things about Mark is he wants those who receive the message to become then messengers. And we see this here, that uh, this man has been blessed by Jesus's ministry and now is sent to take a message. I will make you fishers of men, fishers of people. And he sends him straight to the leaders. From this interaction, he is propelled out and sent as a bearer of the good news. 
And this is really remarkable because it was probably perhaps unheard of before this event that this had ever happened before, that someone came and said, someone so afflicted has come and said, I have been healed. I am here to present the sacrifices that Moses in our scriptures commanded that we do for my cleansing and for for that to be uh, made certain. But also what we see is this man is sent uh, into something that has the potential to bring a crisis for the hearers, for the priests, going to get their tongues a, a flapping and their ears a burning about what's happening on. It's also another sense that conflict may be coming uh, to those who bring this message of the kingdom. You know, this man is not just healed. This man is reoriented into the kingdom of God. That's what Mark's trying to tell us. Jesus, we see in this remarkable thing, he touches this leper, this unclean man. And in doing so, he took upon himself the same status and potential stigmatization of this man, this leper. Jesus identified with him in his situation. And now this man is called to identify with Jesus, which requires now obedience to go and testify as Jesus commands him. So wonderful. We have this little interaction here. This man comes and he's desperate. And he, he's, you know, maybe he doesn't understand fully what he needs, but Jesus does. So he heals him of what is most immediately pro- problematic in his life. But then it's bigger than that. And he sends him out to go and be a testimony to what's happening, that the kingdom is here. And what does the man go and do? Well, it tells us the man does not obey. So question, What can that teach us that this man does not do what Jesus says? Well, I think it tells us about the nature of human beings. It says in Mark uh, 1, verse 45, instead of what Jesus said, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. And really, wouldn't you? If you had just been healed of this, you know, this long affliction, I would, if I was suddenly healed of such a dreadful condition, I would immediately go and tweet and TikTok and Insta story and snap the chat to every single person in my contacts list uh, over and over again. And it's interesting. How many times in our lives do we think Jesus calls us? We, especially we who claim to follow him, to particular choices and actions and desires. And the very next word in our story is the same. Instead, we da 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 da. You know, there's another story about lepers in the Gospels. Once again, it's in Luke. And I think this is uh, helpful in understanding a little more about this, uh, this dilemma of human beings and, and our kind of inability often to, to, to obey and to follow in response to what God is doing or has done for us. And it's in Luke chapter 17. And Luke writes, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. It's a kind of similar area. Some people say this may be of the same kind of story, but but Luke reports this one we're covering in Mark, so it's probably two different occasions. Uh, As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. So 10 men this time. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. 
One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. There's a ton of stuff you could unpack in that passage about Samaritans and foreigners and all that kind of stuff. But simply what we want to see here is that this one man, it was an exception to the rule. He came back and he came back to Jesus to thank him and and engaged again with him beyond just the simple fact that he had been cleansed and just went on with his life as he had before. Jesus said, now rise and go. It seems near, Jesus gives in response this kind of secondary blessing and a pronouncement over this one man of wellness and salvation and healing and wholeness and blessing and favor. But it seems that it's rare, it's a rarity. Uh, The rest of them are just so true to human nature that they come to get what it is that they want from Jesus and then failing to understand what that that now will mean for their lives, they just go back into life again and don't uh, return for this deeper interaction. So how might we put all this together? We've, We've covered quite a few things in here and asked a few questions of the text. How might we put this all together? Well, I think firstly, I think we have to admit that so often we come to Jesus for help for that which is most obvious to us. And I think this passage tells us that he is sovereign and in do, and being so, he engages with us in terms of what is most obvious to him about us. And that can cause us a dilemma because we often then fail to see results or actions or change in that which seems to us in all our wisdom to be the most important thing to be changed. But what it tells us, I think, in his words and his interactions with this one, this man, this leper, is that he loves us too much to deviate from his work in our lives according to his will. You know, it's going to happen against the disciples' warnings and and other ideas and plans. Jesus never deviates from the plan that God the Father has for him and for his followers. And all throughout the Gospel of Mark, we see words like immediately, and in this one, at once, there's a sense of purpose that Jesus is relentlessly pursuing the will of God for himself and all those around us. So I think a confidence that we can have is in terms of something that is just immediate to us is that Jesus is willing to heal us. He is willing to cleanse us and renew us. He is actually able to do this. And, and the confidence that we can have is that Jesus is actually doing this. He's actually, because he is willing and because he is able, he is actually accomplishing this every single moment of every single day. That is an encouraging thought. So therefore, if something that you currently struggle with, we can be certain about this, if something that we currently struggle with, um, for it to be totally healed right now, is drawn from his will and his ability, he will heal you right now. He will do it right now. And you know, I have another, I have an ultrasound, I had an ultrasound this, this past Friday for which I'm awaiting results. Another in a line of tests, and it's good to go and find things out and go to the doctor. Um, But I have to say, I don't have perfect confidence in the technology that's going to produce images of my insides. And having encountered this story, I think that's okay. 
And I don't have perfect confidence in the ability of my doctor to read and to interpret the results of the scans, and that is okay. And I don't have perfect confidence that these symptoms will ever fully go away. And I think that's okay. Because I do, I do have confidence in the one who made me and the one who called me to follow him and who is actually, he tells me, healing me at such deeper levels than simply my nerve endings. And through this is happening through every part of my life and my experience with him and with you, my brothers and sisters. So I know that I have a path forward and that my path forward is to worship him and to trust him and to obey him. Because he identifies with me as he touched the leper. He has touched me and identified with me in my sin. And he has shown me his faithfulness by taking the full weight of all of my affliction, all of my uh, sin upon himself, giving up his life so that I might receive life and forgiveness and adoption. So therefore, how might we respond to this news? I think in Mark, we need to keep seeing that what he says is most important about interactions with Jesus when we come to him seeking to be saved, whatever, in all the ways that means is that the correspondent response is to discipleship, to trust and to obey and that we can trust him to do his work in our lives in his way. And I was reminded of a, of a, of a book by C.S. Lewis, another plug. We're going to study screw tape letters in a book study on Sunday evenings, so you can sign up on the website for that. But this book, uh, Mere Christianity, there was a, something that he said in that book which I think really helps us to understand this. And here's what he writes. C.S. Lewis wrote, uh, When a man turns to Christ and seems to be getting on pretty well, in the sense that some of his bad habits are corrected, He often feels that it would now be natural if things went fairly smoothly. When troubles come along, illnesses, money troubles, new kinds of temptation, he is disappointed. These things he feels might have been necessary to rouse him and make him repent in his bad old days, but why now? Because God is forcing him on or up to a higher level putting him into situations where he will have to be very much braver or more patient or more loving than he ever dreamed of being before. It seems to us all unnecessary, but that is because we have not yet had the slightest notion of the tremendous thing he means to make of us. You know, we are so like the leper in the story. We are frail we are prone to wandering and to wondering and sometimes to wallowing. And our faith is overwhelmed so often by our sight. 
but we've been called into relationship with this one who knows us so perfectly and whose every attitude toward us is defined by his love for us and can be trusted to bring us to where he needs us to be. And we're called simply into a simple obedience, a humility and a trust and to continue to tell one another this good news, to support one another, to be present for one another, to minister for one another. And I think I remember a story uh, that was told by a really famous German theologian, Karl Barth. And I love all the complex stuff that he says. Um, but I think sometimes in getting uh, into the complexities of our faith and reading theologians and all that kind of stuff, we can lose just the simple truth of the gospel. And there's a story uh, that Karl Barth was once speaking uh, at a university. He was asked to come and speak. And one of the students in the Q&A afterwards asked him, if you could sum up in a very short uh, sentence or two, uh, uh, all of what you think is, is most important about theology, uh, what would you say? And this great mind of theology, this great theologian, this giant of intellect, uh, simply said this. He said, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Let's pray. Father, this word comes to us in all places in life. And you are sufficient for that. Some of us are barely hanging on. We're facing things that seem so beyond our ability to cope. And Lord, um, I pray that you would be near to those people. I pray that they would see uh, a glimpse of your love for them, a sense of the hope that is to be found in you. I do pray for healing for all who are afflicted with whatever ailment they are struggling through. But I pray that as this journey continues, they would understand that you're a God who loves them, who is willing and able to heal them, but is doing so in so many ways of which we're all unaware because you're bringing us to, to such a deeper conformity uh, to who you are and who you want us to be in the world. Give us patience with that process and give us confidence uh, that you are able to accomplish it in us. Lord, make our community such that we always will offer a helping hand and an encouraging word and a listening ear to one another, especially those who are going through current trials. And Lord, have your way with us. We offer our lives to you afresh again. Uh, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.